Okay, happy Sunday and uh, greetings in Christ. Today marks the uh, fourth and final installment of our little sermon series on the life of King Asa, uh, narrated in these uh, 14th through 16th chapters of the book of Second Chronicles. Uh, our running theme has been reliance upon God. Uh, in the first three messages, we were uniformly impressed by Asa's reliance upon God in numerous ways and situations. Uh, first, he trusted God uh, over data and conventional wisdom. Second, he relied on the conviction that came from God's word uh, more than popular opinion. Third, when his passion aligned with depend depending on God, uh, Asa allowed it to propel him and his fellow committed Israelites to give themselves over to God wholeheartedly. Unfortunately, uh, today's passage depicts a number of negative examples of Asa's failure to continue relying upon God. Instead, uh, he begins to depend on other allies. Thus, our title, Reliance in an Alliance. In the late years of Asa's tenure, uh, he loses his refreshing and constant dependence upon God. Uh, rather, Asa turns to more typical sources of authority and security. Uh, we'll look at several alliances that he enters into, um, thereby forsaking his trust in God alone. Now, there might be a number of ways in which to approach this text. After exercising reliance upon God in such exemplary ways for 35 years, right? 20 of them which God blessed um, with no wars happening in Judah, Asa kind of veers away from God. And why? Why did he do that? I think that's the big question. Uh, might we chalk it up uh, to just getting older? Um, as a younger man, maybe Asa felt vulnerable and felt he needed God more. But as a veteran royal, seeking the Lord seemed less urgent, less necessary. You know, many a Christian commences uh, their walk with Christ in earnestness and dedication. But as the years lengthen, youthful passion can wane. Another view um, is to say that Asa developed a stubborn streak and became hard-hearted towards God. And this might explain his mistreatment of the prophet Hanani and Asa's refusal to pray to God even after a foot disease, after incurring uh, this condition. Uh, our faith can grow old, over, grow cold uh, over time. Um, we don't keep up our spiritual disciplines. We don't have account an accountability group. A few things don't go our way. God doesn't seem very real. And before we know it, um, you know, we're having trouble in our walk with God. Or may maybe Asa just got too comfortable over the 20 years of peace. Um, his faith became flaccid, right? attenuated. And he was unable to properly uh, exert his faith in a time of crisis. Uh, all these uh, 
aforementioned views, um, I think certainly have their, their merits, their own merits. Um, but the line of interpretation that I plan to follow today uh, is to say that Asa felt that the problems he encountered here in 16 were not crisis level. Uh, they weren't too hard for him, right? They weren't beyond his abilities so that he had to seek God. You know, Asa felt he could manage this on his own. In other words, he had come to learn self-reliance. Self-reliance. Uh, if he was in a pinch, um, he had developed over two decades and could tap into other forms of assistance. A few well-placed allies would be all he needed. Nothing so sweeping or comprehensive or humbling uh, as relying wholly on God. Um, as we get to used to something, as we gain familiarity, knowledge, expertise, you know, we don't like being told or shown the basics again and again. You know, we want to think of ourselves of having progressed, having advanced, even in the spiritual life. And, you know, uh, we become self-reliant. What's wrong with a little self-sufficiency, we might ask uh, ourselves. Um, so I want to identify, let's identify these uh, allies uh, from our passage. Right? I think you know, typically I find three, right? So Ben-Hadad, right? he represents a category of allies. He was a powerful neighbor, uh, neighboring country. He was open to uh, being persuaded. Uh, he was open to treaties and, uh, you know, uh, uh, being convinced and having meetings. So Ben-Hadad, um, verses one to five, verses six to 10, I just called his subordinates, those agents, those men, those, uh, you know, the, the executive power that Asa had. He was able to rely on those things to accomplish what he wanted, right? And we'll look at that in more detail. And then the last section, he, his allies were doctors, physicians, right? Um, people that could uh, help with his physical health. So let's uh, start with Ben-Hadad. We jump 20 years between the end of chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16. God has granted uh, to, uh, peace to Asa and the kingdom of Judah. Pressure, however, uh, arises from the erstwhile brothers of the northern kingdom, um, the northern kingdom of Israel. Although there was constant competition and sometimes open conflict between the northern and southern kingdoms, it's still sad to see that the ancestral tribes originating from the scions of a common father, Jacob, were now engaging in warfare. True, uh, Jacob's sons fought a lot. Um, one wonders uh, if the Northern Kingdom was upset that some of their people defected earlier to the Southern Kingdom in order to benefit from the blessing that God was bestowing upon Asa for his faithfulness. This is a point that we covered last time. Commentaries say that the city of Ramah, uh, which Basha was basically blockading, uh, was an important access point for the trade 
portray to and fro the capital city of Judah, uh, Jerusalem. Uh, so by blocking movement in Ramah, uh, Basha was trying to economically choke Judah. Yeah. Uh, we already talked about, oh, sorry. Uh, when ba Basha showed himself uh, to be the aggressor, why didn't Asa cry out to God? Last time we talked quite extensively about how Asa turned to God when he was, when the vastly more numerical and more technologically advanced um, Kushite army marched upon Judah. Uh, in our chapter, verse 8, speaking for God, Hanana asked, makes the same query. You know, God helped you against the Kushite and the Libyans, so why didn't you seek his help against the northern kingdom when they were uh, making these aggressive overtures? And so my suggestion uh, is that it wasn't as desperate a situation as described in chapter 14. Basha's forces were not overpoweringly numerous. Basha wasn't actually attacking. Right? Maybe it was a prelude of uh, things to come, but it was not dire uh, just yet. Asa, now seasoned with 35 years of kingly experience, he applies a more worldly-wise method instead of seeking God's assistance. Now, Asa tries to resolve the problem with diplomacy and bribery, right? paying off Ben-Hadad instead of looking to God. You know, these were matters in which I think he could exercise some control, some, some know-how. Um, you know, he, he, I think he felt like he knew what he was doing uh, by that time. And so he devises a plan to forge an alliance with Ben-Hadad of Syria. It's quite the strategic move because Ben-Hadad actually had already had a treaty uh, in place with Basha. Uh, by currying uh, Ben-Hadad's favor, uh, it would not only bring a military powerhouse to Asa's side of the ledger, but it would correspondingly weaken Basha's uh, available assets. It would only cost Asa some silver and gold, he thought. And he seems to have a ready supply. He has some in the palace, but realizing that's not enough, he has to tap into the temple treasury. You know, certainly the palace coffers were under the administration of the king, but it was wrong of him to redirect temple monies for geopolitical purposes. If you remember back in 15, verse 18, Asa had dedicated this very silver and gold to the temple as an expression of his wholehearted worship to God. Right? We mentioned that last time. For him to now reverse course, and use it as a payment to endear himself to a pagan king. It's certainly disappointing. Uh, and things work perfectly uh, as planned. He appeals to Ben-Hadad, citing their father's historical alliance. Ben-Hadad is agreeable. His Assyrian forces march on Israel and take some cities. Basha is forced to withdraw from Ramah. And as he abandons his work, Basha has to leave behind precious stone and timber. So Asa kind of swoops in, right? Ends up 
getting a windfall of critical resources to build up Judah's other cities. Now, Asa must have been thinking, win-win. How clever his own maneuverings must have looked. You know, self-reliance is great. But actually, we learned that Asa is short-sighted. He'll later discover that Ben-Hadad and Syria were more serious. They're worse enemies than the northern, of king, northern king of Israel would ever be. But because Asa did not consult God, he did not pray, he did not seek God, he didn't realize that Syria would turn out to be a bigger problem. And later on, the prophet Hanani frowns upon this alliance and says, because of Asa's foolish trust in a pagan king and his rejection of God as his defender, Asa lost an opportunity to deal a mortal blow to Ben-Hadad and his army. So God had a larger plan in mind, but Asa's failure to trust or ask God, at minimum, uh, had him squander that chance. Right? Hanani says that uh, Asa will face war. Now, making alliances with the Ben-Hadads of the world, right? it's a cautionary tale. Right? We see that you know, every, uh, in so many, so many forms. You know, in the Bible, literary forms, and real life, you hear stories. I I'll use a fictional uh, story like The Godfather, right? <laughs> the Godfather movie, book, trilogy. Yeah, kind of how, if you remember how the, they made up this like um, Vatican Bank, right? The, the Immobiliary Corporation, where it had like $600 million in debt. And so they got uh, Michael Corleone <laughs> to pay that off and becomes a majority shareholder. And like, you, you know, they, they mingle mafia money, you know, with, with the church, right? Or like the Nevada senator, I think, Nevada, who accepts donations and, you know, has to like, you know, a deal with 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 the, with the mafia don. Right? This kind of, yeah, using a a resource, using a power, using an influence to help you in the immediate, the short term, but in the long run, you compromise yourself. You do something that will damage your long term prospects instead of you know trusting in God. You know, in the time of a crisis, in the time. Of a pinch, I can imagine, you know, I, I know this is tempting uh, for us. But I think Asa uh, shows us that, you know, we, those are the moments that we have to be all the more dependent on God, all the more trusting, all the more patient with God's ways. And I think when we, um, when we get this kind of self-confidence, uh, we tend to overestimate ourselves. You know, I'm playing with the big boys now, right? But Asa ended up messing with fire, right? His victory in the moment blinded him from upcoming failures. And that's what self-reliance can do. It leads us to overweening confidence. You know, we may be able to handle ourselves in a small situation, but we might be setting up ourselves for a larger fall. Okay, second... Uh, source of allies for Asa was his subordinates and uh, the, his powers as a king. He relied on that rather than looking to God. Um, his men and his you know, royal powers, these were tangible. These were friendly. These were, again, under his control. Um, this, he could make these allies bend toward his will. 
God and God's prophets, you know, not so much. It's Asa who would have to yield. But in these areas, he controlled um, how they moved, where they were placed. Yeah, he was uh, in charge. You know, we already talked about how Asa dispatched his men to retrieve the building material left behind by Basha. You know, verse 6 um, reports that Asa brought all the men of Judah. Right? So uh, he conscripted them to do what he, his bidding, what he wanted accomplished. He saw an opportunity and he applied the, the executive power to put his subjects to work. Not to honor God, right? Not to do something for God's name, but to build up his own legacy. What was being written in the annals and records of the kings of Judah and Israel. Yeah, and then... Uh, we can observe how he reacts poorly to God's messenger, Hanani, who comes and rebukes him for trusting another country's military protection over God's mighty hand. To this, Asa reacts in rage. He's so mad, so angry, so offended by Hanani. And so he uses, or maybe better, abuses his executive power and has Hanani imprisoned. He tells his military, or he tells his police or soldiers, put him in jail, shut him up. I don't want him around. It's so disturbing, right, to see Asa's reaction to Hanani. You know, the last message that God sent through a prophet, Azariah, that was so well received. It was beautiful. You know, God told uh, Asa through Azariah, keep up the good work. Keep up your zeal. I'll be with you, right? You're doing the right thing, getting rid of the idols. But in this instance, when Hanani brings words of judgment, challenging Asa's lack of faith in a God that was ready and able, Asa responds by using his imperial power to punish the messenger who brings negative words. You know, verse 10, uh, 10b further informs us that Asa was tyrannical in other ways as well. He brutally oppressed some of the people. Although it was not specified, we can conjecture that those who were mistreated by Asa were probably people who were also committed to God and, like Hanani, try to point out the error of the king's ways. You know, I think, um, you know, being in a position of leadership, this is probably uh, uh, the um, kind of a potential uh, danger, I think, uh, for me. Um, uh, you know, having responsibility, you know, having uh, leadership. Uh, it's tempting, right? It's, it's always seems almost easier to rely on allies, rely on resources, rely on people that you have access to and maybe influence uh, over, right? You know, uh, it, it's a fine balance, of course, like in the church where God uh, uses people, God wants his people, and he equips them with spiritual gifts and with resources so that they can help build the kingdom of God. But, you know, many a time, um, a Christian leader uh, can misapply or uh, uh, make uh, people uh, serve and do things 
not necessarily because God wants that to happen, but because, let's say, for the perceived good of the church or for the perceived um, leader's you know, own agenda or own expectations or own uh, desire. So we, re we can rely on human resources. We can over rely on people's willingness instead of, at times, even though it's there, we can't rely on that. We have to trust God. Right? And God's ways might be a little slower. God's ways might be a little unclear. God's ways might be hard uh, uh, to do. Right? I think uh, in my own, you know, as I examine my own actions and records and decisions and, and emotions and, and thinking, you know, I think this is an area that I, I have weakness in. Right? especially in, in, in like a challenging time or in a crisis, like a pandemic, or, you know, when certain things arise, like 25th anniversary and stuff. I, I think um, my, uh, the, the reaction, uh, my, sometimes when I am like uh, stressed or if I panic, yeah, I think I can make wrong decisions. I have made wrong decisions uh, where um, I will rely upon by uh, making people or asking people or, or worrying about people um, to, to fill a need to accomplish something when that's not necessarily what God wants. That's not necessarily best, you know, for the group or for healthy for the individual person. Right? So I, I've been trying to do a lot of soul searching uh, on that, right? On how that has manifested in my own, you know, my own life, and also how that I can we can avoid that. How I can steer clear of those kind of you know situations, those kind of contexts, those kind of you know errors and sins, right? And I, and I think it really boils down to uh, you know what the challenge is here, right? to trust God above all, to trust God exclusively, right? In all situations, the crises and even the small decisions, right? Putting God first, putting his will first, seeking his direction, that's um, far superior than uh, you know, self-reliance or reliance on uh, other allies. You know, Asa's heart was not focused on God. He couldn't take the truth that was directed at him. He was too focused on running the kingdom, maybe too focused on outdoing his rival Basha, maybe. He has no time or patience or uh, for, uh, no time or patience for critique, uh, even if it comes from the Lord. You know, Asa pretty much ignores uh, the great words delivered by Hanani in verse 9, first part. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed uh, to him. It's winsome imagery. You know, God moving about the whole earth, eyes peeled, just looking for the man or the woman who would really, who would rely fully upon him. God in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, on the lookout for that young lad or that broken woman, or that humble king who would trust in him wholeheartedly. 
Powerlessness would be a prerequisite. Helplessness, a bonus. God, armed with strength and wisdom, aching, if you will, to bestow his largesse. God's eyes you know, rested on Asa in chapters 14 and again, chapter 14 and again in chapter 15. God worked amazingly in Asa's life and kingship. God delivered Asa with great strength. But Asa got too big. He got too secure. He got too self-important, too smart, too good at being a king. Asa knew all the ins and outs, how to broker a deal with a powerful neighbor, how to leverage assets to yield the finances he needed, how to quell a critical voice, how to sow fear and terror among those who might oppose him. The better he became a typical king, the less he became someone whom God could zero in on to strengthen. Can you picture God scanning the world and then locking into Palestine, focusing in on the royal palace upon Asa in the throne room, surrounded by courtiers and advisors? Uh, God sees, God views the decadence, the pomp, the confidence, the self-reliance. And sadly, God's gaze has to move on. Maybe day after day, God checks in to see if there's any change. Hopeful when he peeks in, but disappointed yet again. Who are our allies? Who are the, what are the things that, that we have control over that we go to all too quickly? When God is looking to give us amazing strength, supernatural strength, powerful, effective strength, if our hearts would only remain committed to him. Finally, the third category is what I dubbed physicians. We see how independent God has become when he is stricken with a severe foot disease. Uh, Some commentators have suggested that this might be gout. And I heard it's very painful, right? Others say that gout was uncommon in this era and location. Uh, Whatever the serious ailment was, Instead of seeking help from the Lord, Asa depended purely on physicians, verse 12 tells us. Now, the role of physicians and medical care is positively viewed by the Bible, of course. Yay, you know, frontline health workers. But to trust solely physician and shun God's help, as in Asa's case, is arguably an act of defiance. And that's where the problem was. Asa could have trusted the Lord and been guided by God to benefit from a physician's care. That would have been very cool. You know, some scholars actually suggest that these weren't really medical healers, as we might understand the word physician today, but more of those who practice magic. Right? And if that's the case, then it would have been even more egregious for Asa to, to seek their exclusive uh, assistance. Right? But the point is, is that he trusted technology, he trusted science, he trusted all these other things you know, as an alternative to trusting in God and not under God's you know, authority, God, not under God's superintendence. Again, Asa shows that he has other allies so as to not be desperate for God. Uh, even though it was a big problem, He had it under control again. He didn't need to cry out to God. And since he had so unceremoniously and unjustly incarcerated um, God's last spokesperson, 
Now, Asa would have had to repent. He would have had to deal with that first before he could seek God's healing. And maybe he just thought he became too important of a monarch to have to disavow his prior actions. So his shell of self-reliance grows ever harder. It grows ever thicker. Right? It grows ever impenetrable with each new challenge and situation he encounters. And I think that is true of me and, and maybe you. You know, once we start relying on ourselves, it's really hard to turn back to God. You know, we get used to solving things on our own. We have our brains, we have our money, we have our friends, we have our savvy, we have our victories, what have you. And it's just easier uh, not having to do things God's way. You know, sometimes I think when we see how God deals with his people in the Bible, I feel like, you know, his methods are just over the top, right? And we're just, we can't handle that. Uh, in the moment. And so, you know, it, it, it's, it's simpler, it's easier, it's less complicated. It's, it's just, you know, we, we tend to just, you know, take the easy way out. You know, what's wrong with helping ourselves once in a while? We might try to convince ourselves. Now, it's not clear if the foot disease is a cause of Asa's death, uh, but he apparently suffers uh, from it for uh, two more years until his life ebbs from him. And although he is honored uh, by the people upon his death, um, the book is shut for him with respect to his relationship with God. It's a sad conclusion to his previously inspiring story. What started out so promisingly ended so disturbingly. Asa stopped relying on God for Judah's security. Asa stopped listening to God's messengers and just ordered his own around. Uh, Asa exercised his authoritarianism to maintain his own sense of importance and power. And his body wasted away, yeah, following after yeah, the real condition of his heart, which is no longer fully committed to God. Uh, Allah verse 9, part A. Um, I'm sorry to end on a sad note, right? but let's uh, come to God and soberly pray as we reflect on Asa's life, a life of reliance on God that unfortunately ended with self, reliance on self. Let's pray. <clears throat>